Welcome to I Fucking Love This Record, a music podcast hosted by me, the Derek Careview. Every week, a guest and I will be discussing an album that we both fucking love. We're going to find out how the record or band entered our lives. We're going to do some track-by-track observations and, of course, any other thoughts that come our way. Warning, these are conversations held by adults, and sometimes bad words will appear unedited. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Through the Looking Glass today is Alice, the 14th album by Tom Waits, which was released in 2002 on Epitaph Records under the Anti-Sub label and produced by Waits and Kathleen Brennan. The album contains songs written for the play Alice. The album was co-released with Blood Money, which we covered in Episode 7, Plug Plug. It was ranked number two in Metacritic's Top 30 Albums of 2002. Still here is Hospital Clown physical performer, and my partner in stand-up comedy crime, Jim Williams. Hi, people. So happy to be here. Glad to have you. So, Jim, tell me, how did this album enter your life? It entered my life right about the same time the clown entered my life. As short as I can make the backstory, because as soon as I dive into this, it gets long-winded, but I was started as a pantomime, and I studied that in high school and college. And when I was in college, uh, at one of the pantomime workshops I took, I met a former pantomime student that was starting to do weird European... Existential Clown, I think, is a good way to to put it. Basically, Tom Waits is the vibe of Blood Money and Bone Machine and Alice uh, has that old creaky circus effect that was really the atmosphere of the show that I joined. It was a two-person clown show, and then I joined that. And it was also, it was really the atmosphere of the guy that started. His name's Dan Griffiths, and he was a crazy guy from Kansas that, like, he'd take his dog walking, and if he would find a little piece of metal that was rusty on the ground, he'd pick it up and put it on his bookshelf because that was pretty to him. The aesthetic of the show, all the clowns were birthed from this big giant green box. He didn't want a clean box, so we had to like paint it to make it look old and dent it and make it look like rusty and beat up. And he'd always have like old 30s, 40s suitcases from the thrift store and he had like an original pork pie hat. Like that was kind of the, I don't know, did you ever see the HBO special Carnival from way back in the day? I remember that, but I didn't get around to watching it. It got canceled so quickly, I was like, okay, then that was a good choice. Which is a pity, man. It was it was a great show, but it was also that, like, was that the Depression? I mean, like, when all the, you know, the droughts and the cornfields and everybody was poor, and, and that's when Circus was really traveling around to make people happy in the freak show. And I got into it because Dan was into Tom Waits, and I pretty much, I have trouble differentiating the albums because he owned four or five of them. And we, I just kind of listened to them and <clears throat> copied them <clears throat> all at the same time. Uh, so I just kind of took all of that in. And, like, he was really a big fan of on Mule Variations, the what is he building in there? Like, that, we used to listen to that when we were making our weird props for the weird show. And we have a voodoo doll whose head pops off and, and crazy shit like that. It really informed my sense of aesthetic because I was already into, you know, like Tim Burton, Corpse Bride or... Nightmare Before Christmas, like hauntingly sentimental, sweet macabre. It's kind of scary, it's kind of spooky, it's kind of gross, but it has a lot of heart and it's beautiful in some way, you know? Yeah, that describes Tom Waits, I think, fairly well, especially the, well, the, the later part of his career, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I went over this in the previous episode that I had gotten into Tom Waits. I was working at a record store and I had heard a little bit of Tom Waits earlier and it just didn't quite grab me and then eventually it it did. And so I remember getting this in Blood Money the day that it came out. You know, I own both of these on vinyl now. And I remember specifically I was dating this girl and we ended up making out to this album. And when I mentioned to somebody that I was making out to a Tom Waits record, they just gave me that look like, what is wrong with you? Or what were you on at the time? And it made perfect sense at the time. 
not really. But anyway, that was it. Uh, and when they both came out, uh, this is the one that grabbed me first. I really loved this album almost right away. It took me a little bit longer for Blood Money. I like Blood Money, but this one was just the immediate hook. So we're going to go ahead and just jump right into the track by track. Oh, can I mention one thing that just popped back into my mind? You did mention this is a, it's actually a soundtrack. I mean, it's not just an album on its own. It was written. It's all the music from a production of an adaptation an er- interpretation, I think you could even call it, of Alice in Wonderland. So that was also one of the pleasures of diving into this particular album versus the other ones that came out at the time, because it was music from a show I had never seen. And knowing that, I was able to kind of invent my own show in my head while I would listen to it, because it's so filled with imagery and atmosphere. In college, I actually, I was part of another production of a different adaptation of Alice in Wonderland that was really hippie and performance art. We all wore pajama pants and tie-dyed wife beaters to play multiple characters and whatever. That was part of this whole vortex of Alice. Uh, yeah, so both Alice and Blood Money are songs that were based on plays. And I've never seen either, and I don't know much. You can actually find some clips now. Uh, on YouTube of the Alice play, and I watched a couple last night. Not at all what I had envisioned, but definitely absurd and freaky enough that someday I'd love to see it. And I know that uh, some bootlegs have been kicking around to this for years. His car got broken into in like 1992, and I think they think this is one of the things that was stolen, and that's how part of it got leaked. And I think that's why he ended up just releasing both albums on the same day. They're both, you know, from songs from plays, and and then he just drops two, like, oh, by the way, here's two all-time fucking great records on the same day. (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome, Tom. (laughs) Thanks, Tom. So one of the things I'm doing with this first season is talking about album openers, and I have it down to the four, as anybody who's been listening will know. It's the call to action, the blueprint, the setup, and the teaser. For Alice, this is a blueprint opener for me. I think this really sets it up, uh, and even though it's the opening thing of what would be a play, and you could probably make an argument for setup, I'm going to go with blueprint. And it's got this just dreamy, languid quality to it. And I love how the, the music and the vocals work together. The stuff going on in the background, there's the, the horns and then the piano, and it's got just that right amount of creep and warmth to kind of play into what you were talking about before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those are the words I'm trying to find. Creep and warmth is also good. A little bit spooky, but also sentimental. And you can see a lot of the themes that we're going to... This is a pretty dark album. And I think if you're not paying attention to it, maybe, because it's got some pretty stuff later on. It kind of sells them short, but you can almost boil Tom Waits, especially this, let's say, the last five, six albums of his career. There's like four Tom Waits. There's Noisy Tom, Spooky Tom, Sultry Tom, and Sentimental Tom. That's fair. This album kind of plays with that a little bit. They're not quite as pronounced as you'll see like on Blood Money or even uh, I listened to Mule Variations and not sure which one we were going to do so I listened to that. Now I don't know I I was originally going to say Blueprints also but now as you were talking and I was thinking like yeah I mean it sets up the whole mood for this play or even if you're just listening to it as an album it does set up the mood for the album but at the same time I mean it lays the framework for what everything else will be. Well, generally, I think of the blueprint with if the first album, first song is a, a blueprint, I think that this is what it introduces the themes and the sounds that you're going to hear throughout the rest of the album. Usually with a setup, I think it's more about setting up song two. Uh, so that when the uh, first song is a little bit lighter and then song two just comes in and punches you in the face, that's more of the setup. So then I'm definitely <laughs> with you. This is definitely a blueprint. I love this song. This is, I think, why I initially loved this album so much is because that first track, it just tingled up my spine and just grabbed a hold of me. And it's like, this is fucking great. So beyond it being what type of opener it is, what are your thoughts on this one? It's very inviting in the same atmosphere that we that I keep on struggling to find the right adjectives for. 
it's attractive. It's almost like a like a creepy finger inviting you into this world, and it's jazzy and bluesy. Yeah, we're in Wrocław, Poland, and if you remember the weather today, it was just like gray skies, and there was kind of some pressure, especially as the sun was going down early because we're in October. It made me more excited to do this podcast because that's when I remember listening to this album when I would pick it out of the shelf would be on a day like this, like either sit down with a warm cup of tea or something, and then just when that first track hits to open up, you know you're getting started, and it's just like, arithmetic, arithmetic, Alice, you just, you want to go into it. And it's got some great lines in here, I love the, you know, how did the razor find my throat, and just the way he sings that, just that kind of sing-songy, but it's like, okay, <laughs> that's a little bit dark. There's really things that we see throughout this, you know, we see things of death, decay, rot, uh, there's also a lot of flower imagery, but also in that because, you know, flowers are beautiful, but tomorrow they're dead. And this really sets that up. It's all cyclical. I think that's why not only Tom Waits, but other artists and other mediums go into this style or this aesthetic because you can really get into the meaning of death and also the circle of life. Because, yeah, flower dies very relatively quickly, but then decays and turns into the soil that creates the next flower. So it's death and rebirth. I don't, I don't know if, if actually in the original Alice Through the Looking Glass book had these, but it was definitely about transformation and going through something. It's, it's easy to see the connection. That brings us on to track two, Everything You Can Think. Jim, what are your thoughts on this one? Again, because I, I would invent my own play or at least imagery. Or just listen to the music and close my eyes and see what visions appear. I would have visions of weird marionettes dancing along to this really choppy, percussive and punctuated. Everything you can think of is blue. It's playful. It's playful, but still in that dark style. Sure, you can see like the jerky movements right. of a marionette type puppet. Okay, I, that had never entered my dreamscape while listening to this, but I'm sure it will now. Because yeah, I think there's some really interesting instrumentation going on in the background. And that's what I really love about this album, his approach of here's a weird ass looking instrument. I'm going to do something with it. And then it just works. Well, and from what I know too, I, I should have done more homework, I guess I can admit already, but I know Tom Waits has many instruments that he's invented and created on his own, or his little cameo in Mystery Men, which also came out about the same time, so that was also part of my Tom Waits introduction. I'm like, he's in a movie? <laughs> this guy's crazy. But he was playing like on a birdcage or something with a, with a violin bow. So all of those weird sounds are really his invention from weird clackety things. I think it's on the Black Rider. There's an instrument where it looks like a violin with a horn bell coming out of it so the noise actually comes out of the end of a horned bazaar or i may have dreamt that i'm not sure <laughs> but yeah so that's just really great instrumentation and it's got decomposing as we go it has that really barking rhythm because sometimes he'll, he'll sing and it sounds a little bit sinister but this is more just that where he's just barking at you yeah and that one point he's like at that which is just <laughs> fucking great there's a lot of nursery rhyme stuff going on in here. So there's mm -hmm. the dish running away with the spoon and baby sleeping in the shoe. And uh, I feel like he's not just pulling from Alice in Wonderland. He is pulling just from, I think, mythos in general sometimes throughout this record. That's true. And all those nursery rhymes and, and stories of the Brother Grimm that were children's stories. But really, when you think about it or get down to it, like Hansel and Gretel is a terrifying horror story. But it's a, at the same time, it's a children's story with a happy ending after all but what the kids go through is so <laughs> traumatizing yeah and that's a way we could describe this album there's some there's some traumatizing <laughs> stuff on this record 
Track three, we have Flower's Grave. More death, more dying, more decay, more flower imagery. And I think just the thought of putting a flower on a flower's grave is the type of imagery that in anybody else's hands would probably come across as pure cheese. I think if somebody else tried to sing about putting a flower on a flower's grave, it would just be dumb or would be silly and somehow Tom Waits gets away with it. Now I'm trying to imagine like NSYNC or Britney Spears or something. I'm a flower <laughs> on a flower's grave. Yeah. I guess I'd agree with you, but now as I'm thinking about it, I I can't imagine anyone that falls more into the cheese trap would even have that thought or observation. It, it's so obvious once you're like, yeah, flowers go on graves. Who puts flowers on a flower's mom? But that's over the heads of anybody that's more in the in the mainstream. It's only Tom Waits would think of that. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly possible. This one is a bit more, uh, say, musically kind of a straightforward ballad. Mm-hmm. Obviously not lyrically, but this is the the first time we don't have that odd or unusual instrumentation going on. There are times when he just does have you know straightforward musicality. Yeah, and uh, you know he can put together a crackerjack band. Always does, and different people play on every track. So even when it's more typical, let's say it's more still actual music. Yeah, because <laughs> because he, he does venture into that noise sound genre around the time that i discovered tom waits i was also in a lot of other experimental music a lot of techno a lot of electronic and i found this band called lightning bolt which they have i guess you could call it music but like there's no rhythm and there's it's like random noise unelectronically totally analog and on all the weird instruments that he invents he has the same aesthetic this one does not have that this is this is one of my favorite songs because it really is a a ballad it's sweet it's as touching as tom waits gets in his gruffy whiskey and cigarette smoke scarred vocals that's the beauty of his music is that he can be touching and gentle in this foreboding form that he has or to go back to blood money the lullaby song sometimes i'll even get these two songs mixed up about which one is on which because for me they're very similar i love both of them i think i've put both of them on mixed cds for my kids when they were little to lull them to sleep because yeah (laughs) the song before would probably not be so good for a children's lullaby you know i want my kids to have a sense of style and a little edge to them so a sense of the inevitable end (laughs) teach him young that's a good idea jim Brings us on to uh, track four, No One Knows I'm Gone. What are your thoughts here? We're two songs now into this somber, sad, but lyrical atmosphere. And this is another song that, that connects with the lullaby song. It's just very beautiful with the clean violins. Goes back into what you were saying about the themes of the overall play album of death and and mourning and sadness yeah so this is another ballad but he starts off with what heaven above and hell below talking about graves and being buried and when it says nobody knows i'm gone he doesn't mean i'm not in the room (laughs) he doesn't mean i'm I'm not at home right now this is dead or gone it's another good one i actually i like this one more than the previous track i tend to like sinister tom and i tend to like noisy tom more than i like sentimental tom Mm -hmm. but on occasion i really like sentimental tom and i really like this song you know there's sometimes just this like a little tiny thing in a song that always brings you back to it and it could just be some odd note or an odd turn of phrase or not even something that repeats but just this one thing and for me it's at the very end he does this thing where he just takes this breath and then it feels like maybe something more is going to happen but then the song ends and i don't know why i'm always drawn I'll listen to this all the way through, even if I'm just kind of skipping around, because I want to hear that breath that he takes. Huh. And I, 
don't know why it always that's just one of like, this, this tiny little hook now i have to go after we finish this i'll go and listen to that song and look for that because i i don't remember that but i completely know what you're talking about and i'll mention that when we get to the track a few tracks later from now so then we'll move on to track five and i'm going to see if i can pronounce this uh communist sped <laughs> we'll just say that and uh <laughs> i fucking love this song i love this song so much this is great and another thing, like just only Tom Waits being able to get away with, he's got a, a song that's basically, it's fake German. And that, I went to look up lyrics because I didn't know if maybe they, and it just says fake German and then we can't be late. That's it. That's the, <laughs> and I think it tried like the first part. Uh, so I don't know if Komenichu Sped means anything. And then okay. there, there's like that Zeitbuchlisch. And yeah. I don't know if that means anything because it's just got what it is. And then there's a whole stanza where according to the internet, it's just fake German. Well, now I want to know because the play that the soundtrack goes to was a production that took place in Germany. And the clips that I found online had the actual text, which I didn't know. Of course there is, but I didn't think of that, that there's actual action and play and text. And when I saw that, that was that was all in German. But if at least... What did you say? The There was one... We're, we're late. We can't be late. Oh, we can't, we can't be late. So... Yeah. I would imagine this song takes place in the play, uh, something revolving around the White Rabbit, right? I would imagine. I don't if, know. If it's... that German lines up. But, <laughs> but also, with, if within a German play, Tom Waits gets away with just having fake German, then kudos Tom Waits. That sounds perfect. And he's got the, the sinister Tom. It's kind of like spy film music almost going on in the background. But with just a touch of slapstick, when I listen to this, I kind of, in my head, it's like a spy versus spy. They're chasing after, but somebody's going to fall down and hurt themselves before the other guy can actually hurt him <laughs> or something. And I just get, it's a little bit silly while also being a little bit sinister. I love this song. This is why it stuck with me uh, when I found it in my early days of discovering clown, because that for me is a lot of part of the whole realm of clown, let's call it, because you have a lot of different forms. And for every person, just the word clown brings together a different mind. For some people, the first image that comes to mind when they think clown is the evil clown from it. And that's very far on the spectrum of like, horror clown uh, but then you know on the other side is the green wig too much makeup birthday clown that some people like and some people hate but there's i mean there's a whole range and also of of sacredness like in native american tradition they had their own forms of of clown and their role was to control the population by through satire like if you cheated on your wife during public gatherings they'd come out and do a little scene about you cheating on your wife in front of everybody else you'd be really ashamed and hopefully not do that anymore thinking all of that lore and the and the character of the trickster is a playful element uh, a light fun slapsticky but also foreboding a little um sinister a couple of times now I'm, I'm, I'm missing a word thanks a lot poland and polish for knocking these words out of my head <laughs> conniving you know like hey we're having fun but at any moment i could just stab you but it's still fun stabby stabby like that shit just makes me laugh <laughs> <laughs> and this song everything i just said what this song means to me so exactly you're right it's it's playful but i think some people are afraid of just the idea of clown the same way that i can imagine i don't know if you said it here or earlier in the introduction nobody really 
feels so-so about Tom Waits. You either love him or you hate him. And I think this is part of why that is. Some people don't understand the connection between jovial laughter and play and uh, violence and dark and demons and stuff like that. So they wouldn't find that entertaining. But if you if you get that and you've never heard this album, you should hear this album and then you can listen to Come Undersniffered and see what we're talking about. One of the things I remember about this song when it first came out and I was playing this album a lot and Christian and I were roommates in Tampa, Florida. And he swore that this was music to raise the dead by. <laughs> and at the time, we had a website and we were publishing a comic that he would draw and write called Broken Seal, loosely based on on us. It was me. I was one of the characters. Christian was a character and our friend Scott was another character. My character was evil. And he, I think he cloned Scott and then killed him repeatedly. I wrote a small handful of the comics. And one of them was with this song because we were hoping to maybe have some local businesses put up the comic or something like that. And uh-huh. so I did one for Vinyl Fever was the idea. And it was about playing the song and then all the Scots that I had killed coming back to life. <laughs> I'll, I'll see if I can track that down. I think those are lost to the ether. Yeah. So that's one. Every once in a while, this pops into my head. Lost to the sands of time. Yeah. When you bought this album, you were what, in university or after? Uh, oh, way after. So this came out in 2002, so I would have been 30 when this came oh, out. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right, and I was just getting out of college. Okay. <laughs> just getting out of elementary school, Jim. <laughs> you know, not that much older than you. So track six, Poor Edward. This is where I can defend myself righteously in, in why I get these songs mixed up, because uh, on one hand, they're very similar, and that's why I like this album versus any one particular track. It's an art all in and unto itself. If you listen to the track from start to finish in sequential order, Alice, the first track, really sets up the the framework of what the album will be. Then you have Flower's Grave and No One Knows I'm Gone and now you're into Poor Edward and it's another sad song. Fits into the aesthetic but distinct on its own. I have poor memory so it all gets jumbled up in my head. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what you were looking for? for? That was perfect, yeah, yeah. I love this song. I love the way he draws out Edward. It starts up, you know, did you hear the news about Edward? And the way he says Edward, he just draws out that last part of it is the fucking creepiest thing. That'll that'll set me off edge, but I love it. And this is the darkest song on this album. And this is a pretty dark album. It's based on a true story. There was actually a dude who had a face on the back of his head. It's a specific condition. It's obviously... Very, very, very rare. And he claimed that the voice would talk to him. Now, nobody else could ever hear the voice. Doctors were afraid he was cursed because this was in the 1800s or whatever. Mm -hmm. So they didn't want to touch him. So they told him they couldn't do anything about it, that they couldn't remove the face. Apparently, they could have. They just didn't want to. And so he claimed that other face would whisper things to him at night. And he eventually killed himself because he couldn't take it anymore. Now, as far as I know, nobody ever heard this other voice. So they don't know if it was just madness. And, you know, what could you know at this point? Well, if it's another face, there's, a, you know, there's conjoined twins or, you know, where you absorb your twin. They're inside of you. So you have like teeth in your guts or something. All, all that shit can happen. I'm assuming it's on that same kind of spectrum, though. Different. There's a specific name for the condition and I don't remember. Uh, identical twins. Sometimes they have a mental connection. Mm-hmm. Of course, no one's going to hear that voice because it's in his head where the other being Yes. The thing is, he would always say that she would say awful things to him and then that he eventually killed himself. Which is sad. Um, Yeah. But also there's something phenomenal and 
sacred about that. I mean, I, you know, like uh, in many Indian cultures, a child is born with multiple limbs and they're hailed as a goddess because they're like the multi-limbed goddess. So in another society, that's totally fucked up and ah, we don't want to touch you. It, it's that same duality. It's, it's circus. I did not know that story. I just liked the song. But now knowing more about it, it's an element of freak show. Yeah. And this circus performance that he's got going on. This is something I just assume he, you know, was like a flight of fancy or just a, a cool idea for a song. But no, this is a real dude. And when he says something like, uh, you know, he would uh, at night, she would say things to him, things heard only in hell. And then he rents a suite of rooms and then he hangs himself. You know, in the song is like, oh, some say she was he was freed from her, but I know her too well. She basically made him kill himself so they would both be in hell together. And it was like, oh. Okay, <laughs> this and I love this song, but man, it's dark <laughs> and it's creepy, and I love it. Which then brings us on to Tabletop Joe, track seven, and this is another true story, another true tale in song, let's say, about a real performer. Only this one is the only upbeat and jazzy song on the album, and it's about somebody who was able to overcome his uh, shortcomings. <laughs> <laughs> This is the first song that doesn't have anything to do with death in it at all. So this is actually fairly uplifting, you know. So it's about a real guy who was basically born with no lower half of his body. So he started out in a freak show, but he became a, a very successful performer. He had his own orchestra. He was on Broadway. And it's these back-to-back true stories and one about this guy with a face on the back of his head that makes him kill himself. And then this other guy who's only got half a body who becomes this world-renowned orchestra leader, singer. It's pretty amazing. And there's no death. There's no flight flowers there's no dark side of it this is just somehow uh we're gonna we're gonna end side one <laughs> with so you have the energy to flip the record over <laughs> congratulations audience you've made it this far we're gonna reward you a little bit before we dive right back into it yeah you have any thoughts on tabletop joe i'm curious i want to ask a, a, a small side question did you find out about all of this trivia with these last two songs in preparation for this podcast or is that how you listened to the album you got curious you researched lyrics and then I had forgotten that uh, Poor Edward was real. I knew that Tabletop Joe was. And so I knew that. I remember hearing about that at the time or doing some research. But it was for this podcast that I remembered about Poor Edward. Okay. I was just curious because with other albums and with other artists, that helps me get into even deeper into the music. Side note, sorry, I know you don't like rap. I recently discovered Mac Miller, who apparently was a white rapper from... Pittsburgh. He, he had a whole career. I never heard about him. He, he died in uh, 2018 at a very young age. So by the time that I found out about him, he was already gone. But uh, I've been really interested in his story, uh, his music at the same time and, and, and the symbolism of his lyrics and everything. So that just reminds me of that and why I was curious of your question. And then to come back to Alice, it's all interesting to know about the real backstory of these two tracks. But it doesn't take away from my enjoyment and my experience of falling in love with the album because the words and the music paint enough pictures that you can get other visuals. You, you, you know what I mean? Oh, definitely. And I, I even brought this up with Kiro when we were talking about Blood Money because Kiro was actually familiar with the play that it was based on, if I remember correctly. Uh-huh. I am still not. And I've always approached that as a music album 
that is completely divorced from its source material. It does I, I've never tried to think of it as a storyline. I think of it as an album. Right. And the same thing with Alice. And I know that there are touches of, you know, through the looking glass and there's some nursery rhyme stuff. And I don't know how these two stories fit in. And the same thing when we'll see with Reaper Bond a little bit later on. So clearly this isn't just a retelling of Alice. There's something else or it's reimagined in a way that it's out in the real world oh, or, or what have you. Which is something that happens in art. Of course, yeah. It's like a musical form of an old photograph. He's got some kind of muffle on his voice, maybe he's speaking through a muffle on a trombone or something. It's not black and white, it's sepia. Is that the sepia tone? Playing on a keyboard like maybe in a western saloon or something. Those are my images. You're welcome to your own. <laughs> that's what makes music great. We could sit here and listen to the album together and we'd walk away with two totally different things and that's what I, I love about it. So this brings us to the halfway point of Tom Waits's Alice on I Fucking Love This Record with Jim Williams. We've mentioned at the beginning of the show and you've brought it up a few times about uh, being a clown. So you are a, a hospital clown for uh, Chervoninovsky, which yeah. is a offshoot of or a part of Red Noses International. Why don't you tell the folks a little bit more about that? What's your involvement in it? Oh, totally. So this is another form of clown on that spectrum, but it still falls under the same realm. I got introduced to Medical Clown when I was working in Chicago with this other clown show because Dan Griffiths, the guy that introduced me to Tom Waits, the guy that taught me about clown in the first place and put me in his show and kind of took me under his wing. He was he was like my I was his Padawan for a while. You know, He got into the Chicago organization that does this out there. And he would just come home with these crazy stories like the clowns are in the hospital to bring joy and laughter and snap people out of their misery because that can be really useful when you're kind of stuck in your own brain that something so absurd happens outside of it that you forget what's going on for a while. He came home and he was like, oh man, I had this great visit with, with my partner Paul. We were uh, down the hallway talking to this one kid and Paul's clown sees this black guy in a velvet jumpsuit and Paul goes, Look, a bear! And he ran over and he fireman picked up the black guy who who had never met the clowns. They just fucking did that. Took him over to the kid and put him down. Like, look, we brought you a bear! And the guy's just standing. He's kind of shocked, but he's laughing and the kid's laughing. And it's all just absurdism for bringing joy into an environment that is not so happy. So to go more into what medical clowning is, we are professionally trained performers. And when we do castings, which I help uh, facilitate, we look for circus performers, jugglers, uh, musicians, magicians, anybody with an artistic background, but from a wide array, and we train them to be clowns in the hospital to work with the patients, work with the parents, and with the staff. We try to integrate into the actual medical procedures. So, like if a nurse has to draw blood, we'll often play different things with the child's other hand so that they are distracted and less pain and fear going into it. Or uh, we'll try to develop a relationship with the child before they go into the procedure room. That's really the best because then they're already more calm and relaxed. The nurse is more calm and relaxed. Everybody feeds off of that energy and things just happen a lot more smoothly without what we've learned is unnecessary fear, trauma, and pain in the hospital. If somebody wanted to uh, find out more about that or if they wanted to donate money towards this cause, where would they want to go? Oh, totally. So what what I love about this organization, yeah, Red uh, Czerwoninowski is the Polish chapter division. Red Noses International is like a franchise NGO. So we all operate under the parent organization, Red Noses International. 
So if you are Polish or live in Poland and you want to support the work that we do out here, you go to czerwoninowski.pl. There's all the links there you, you can find and you can send a transfer bank or whatever you want to do. But if, for example, you're listening to this uh, across the planet and you're in Hungary, they have uh, Piros Or. If, if you're in Germany, it's Rotenassen in Austria, Rotenassen. So really, if you're interested in the idea of medical clowning and, and want to support that, you can go to your uh, home country and see if there's an organization there that you can support. Thank you very much for that. And uh, hopefully if any of our listeners are out there, please do so. This is a, a, an organization that, uh, and not just because Jim works there, but we do a, a big promo show, uh, our Christmas, uh, we do a lonely Christmas stand-up comedy show. Or That's right. This year's the, uh, what, the fourth edition? Uh, fourth or fifth. That's a show that we donate to all the proceeds, Trevor Nienowski uh, specifically. If that's something you're interested in, I would encourage you because it's a fantastic organization who's doing really good work with some really sick kids so we're gonna flip that record over we're gonna go on to track eight lost in the harbor jim you're up dazzle me so the main instruments in this could either be strings and woodwinds like an oboe and a cello or something like that i feel like i hear a breathiness there that also makes me think of an accordion it's a nice way to come back to perhaps this is where the intermission takes place in the play and it's a nice way to come back into this world or after the break of the previous track but it's just another continuation of that depression era old school rusty if it is an accordion i can just see one that has dust on it and it's dirty it's certainly not new and it's a little creaky but that just adds more depth to it yeah, I don't know if it's a, an accordion or a pump organ. I want to say pump organ because I, I have that written down and that's something it looks like I looked up, but I don't know. <laughs> this brings the tempo back down and I forgot to check where the actual split is, uh, if it is on a vinyl record. I tried to do that, but everything I saw just gave me the full track listing. So I don't know if this actually ends side one or if it opens side two, but it's opening up side two of the podcast. So It can be whatever you want it to be in the play in your mind. <laughs> well, the thing is I have it on vinyl and I just forgot to fucking look. So. Oh. Well, then never mind. Yeah, that's just, just that's up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this brings the, the tempo back down. It's less about death than some of the other tracks have been, but there is uh, there's the flower imagery in there. And, and again, I also caught onto that pump organ or, or accordion or whatever it is, because there's a part between the second and third verse where there's almost like this musical breakdown with it, and it's off-setting, off-putting. It's hard to listen to with headphones on because it, it's one of those that changes the channels and it messes with my equilibrium just a little bit. And I Oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes <laughs> I, sometimes so you much. love it, sometimes you hate it. Sometimes it can be a bit much like on uh, Salisbury Hill at the very end of the Peter Gabriel song. It goes so fast that it makes you a little bit dizzy, right? which I don't yeah, catch when you just listen to it, right. but on headphones, it's crazy. Uh, and so this one has that bit where if you're not listening to it on headphones, it doesn't do much, but with the headphones on, it's like, whoa, okay. A good tune. And I always think of it as a ballad until I listen to it. There's a little bit more there it's not quite as smooth as some of the other tracks that we we saw a little bit earlier yeah, even in the title lost in the harbor what, whatever the instrument is pipe organ accordion winds and, and strings uh it, it has that breathiness and that flow of water the open sea um a foggy a foggy day there's you know the what is it the walrus and the something or other that are walking by the sea and they find a clam from the Alice oh, yeah, story, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's one, if you wouldn't have asked me, I probably could have told you. You know, one of those things, because as soon as you said it, it just pushed it right out of my brain. And maybe we'll look that up later. Yeah, then that was one of those that 
remember rereading as an adult. I'm like, that is fucking creepy shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I mean, the whole, yeah, and Alice's relationship with Lewis Carroll and that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Moving on to track nine, We're All Mad Here. This, at times, is my favorite song on the album. I love this one, and it's it's creepy, and this goes back to being a little bit more noisy, and I like the little the rhythmic touches to it, and whatever, I don't know if he's like a xylophone or one of those, goes like that boop, boop, boop kind of sound to it that, that uh, gives it that just the forward momentum. And there's, again, it's creepy as shit. And there's the flower imagery and the death imagery. And there's, what is it, the the rose still on your lips and uh, the heart-shaped bone that was your hips. And we're all on this decomposing train. It's like, okay. Uh, (laughs) And this is the first song from the very first song. So Alice obviously brings to mind Alice uh, in Wonderland. And then We're All Mad here is probably the only, the next time, I think it's it's bold and bald faced being a part of that mythos. Possibly, and unless we can actually remember about the sea walrus thing from the previous track. But yes, <laughs> I agree. Yeah, the first time I remember, where I think it's we're just a lot more out in the open. But, but yeah, you can, you can see Tea Party in this song and the same cheerful nihilism. You know, we're all gonna die. We're all gonna die. Doody doody do. Which you can you can say is creepy, but it's also just very bluntly stating the facts of life and celebrating it. I mean, this recalls for me Dia de los Muertos. People walking, you know, dancing skeletons and, and flowers and bright colors celebrating death. Well, that, that's that's more on the light side, but there is also that, like, walking into the nuclear explosion, do 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 You just accept reality for what it is. Yeah, and of course, it's a lovely cold October day, almost almost <laughs> to uh, almost to Halloween, so I'll be putting this one up pretty quick for the future generations that, you know, it's it's cold right now. Uh, it's not snowing or anything, but we're cold at the end of October. So then we're going to move on to track 10, Watch Her Disappear. Jim. Mm, this is my favorite song on this album. I've been waiting to talk about this track for this whole <laughs> podcast. And since we decided to do this up until now, I have talked about the album as a whole. I do like each individual song, but when it's in my head and I remember it and I think about it, I think of it the whole album. But when I think of the album, I do think of Watch Her Disappear. It's it's an actual waltz. And the imagery in this uh, was the strongest for me. Like I, I saw a whole scene take place in my head when I listened to this song. And then I just listened to it on repeat over and over. And the, and the, and the imagery got clearer. And it actually got realized into physical reality because I'd had the vision in my mind for a long time since I discovered Tom Waits. Years later, I met my wife. And we moved to Arizona for a time, and we became ballroom dancers in a in an Arthur Murray dance studio, like Waltz Tango Foxtrot. But we were still weird clown people. Like, try to think of Tom Waits the, these albums in a real like sequin dance studio. That was kind of how we felt there. But we needed money, so we did that. And they, there would be these uh, showcases where there'd be some choreography with the students and it was a great way to upgrade them and sell them on the next package and blah, blah, blah. But we weren't, uh, shy to be artsy and we did an actual waltz to this song. I, I wore an old weird tuxedo I found at a thrift shop and actually at another thrift shop, Anka found uh, a big wedding gown which is funny because she didn't actually have a white dress for our wedding. She wore a green dress, and now she had a, a wedding dress that really flowed. So we did this creepy waltz to this song, uh, and we threw in a moment of slow motion just to use our, our mime skills. It was dead guys dance with a ghost because at the end, my wife disappeared. I mean, I watched you. I 
it's just oh, I, I can't say enough positive things about this song. Yeah, it, it made me create physical performance art because it was just so. How was the dance taken? Did the people enjoy it? They enjoyed it very much. It made their brains fritz a bit because part of the culture of these dance events is normally there's like some simple steps and then a flashy move and everyone goes, woo, yeah, go, Jim and Anka, woo. We were really doing theater. I mean, really, this listen to this song and try to imagine that in this context. Oh, I will. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I think the video, we have it online somewhere. Once we start the dance, because people really didn't know what to do, like they, 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 know, they knew us, they liked us. What they were seeing was was interesting and unusual. Throughout the dance, you could hear them going, yeah, Jim and Anka, woo! And kind of like breaking the, the fourth wall and the whole atmosphere. And I was like, oh, why am I stuck in this dance studio? Like, this should be on a theater stage, but I'm not at that point in my career. And I think I remember some people coming up and being like, that was good. I I didn't get it, but I liked it. I don't, you guys are weird. <laughs> <laughs> I love this song. And this is what I, what I consider to be the third song in a bit of a side trilogy. You know, you had brought up earlier, what's he building in there? Yeah. Uh, so there was that. And then there was uh, The Ocean Doesn't Want Me Today. Yeah. Which, what album is that from? Boat Machine. This reminds me a lot of how he approaches that, where just that instrumentation is kind of going on in the background and it's really all about his voice which is a lot more spoken than sung i like his approach here uh and it's one of those where you get the the like kind of the mouth sounds which can be annoying at times but for some oh, reason really works here thank you for the reminder this this is that what you were talking about earlier where where one noise clicks you in this is the, like the first second or two of this track right there's some mouth noises and the breathing of the accordion and then you go into the song that that's what clicks. Yeah. And it's just got the the plucked bass and, and just the evocative lyrics. Like you're talking like, I don't even know if I know what's going on, but it's like the air was wet with sound. And it's like, fuck yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> yes, go on. Uh, and I just I just love those lines. And, and it's at times where, again, I think in, in lesser skilled hands, this could be a, a fucking tragedy. And instead, it's amazing, and just the the approach to it. So I, I love this song, and I, I can see why you would love the song as well. And you have to listen to it with those. Th I, I want to say those three songs all together. It just feels like this almost like side project you're supposed to figure out at some point. <laughs> I don't know. I just made that up. I will do that because I know all those songs, and and they're great. So then it's gonna bring us on to track eleven, Reaper Bond. And this, where's we're all mad here. Sometimes it's my favorite. Sometimes this song is my favorite. I love this fucking song. Uh, it's got the vignettes from the seedy side of town you know so you got your reaper bond your red light district whatever you want to call it and just we see a couple of short stories uh, so there was a rosie who was basically a failed comedian so that uh, you know hit a little close to home uh, <laughs> uh, and there was uh, hans who created the uh, the sexy underwear but i just my favorite line and i think tells you everything you need to know about the song is uh, if you're not too picky about the crowd you keep or the mattress where you sleep and that's the description of the reaper bond and so this is like not quite skid row but it's you know failed there's a, a mention of a failed actor uh, or not a, like a has-been like somebody who i think was big and now isn't people who were on the fringes so like what about a, about a gay man who was uh, designing women's underwear because he wore women's underwear and this brings to mind uh, just the thoughts of let's say bohemia mm -hmm. it's not like 
the skid row that you would see in America where it's just like kind of bums and alcoholics or whatever. And it's just more about what is like if, if you've lost your inheritance, but all you have left is your common sense, I think is a line or something like that. Uh, yeah. This is where you end up. But it this feels like it's dirty and seedy, but it's also a little bit creative, but also a little bit sad, but also a little bit hopeful, but also a little bit. It's just one of those. It's just it's very evocative for me. I love this song just because it feels like a lot of the people there are down and out. But there's also those the, the creatives living on the fringe. And I, I just uh, I dig this tune. What about you, Jim? So once again, this has one of those hooks that we talked about, the creaking in the background. You hear that? Your description is accurate, which makes me think of Moulin Rouge, what it actually was, not necessarily the Hollywood movie of, of the same name. Artists, big, great, and beautiful, mixed in with uh, sadness, loss, depression, destruction, alcohol, drugs, CD, red light, cabaret. It just makes me think again, if you like this album, I'm sure you can find on some torrent or streaming site, HBO's uh, Carnival. I think you would like it. And listeners, if you like this album, because this is exactly the aesthetic of old-time circusy, <laughs> decaying beauty, dead flowers. I hadn't thought of Moulin Rouge, but yeah, so it's just that it's somewhere, it's European, whether that's, you know, Bohemia, or whether that's like uh, Paris and in those eras where it is just that mix of, of those going up and those coming back down, those who never quite found their way. I don't know why I'm nodding to you. Yeah. This is a podcast, <laughs> but I agree. Yeah. All right, thank you, Jim. So that moves us on to I'm Still Here, track 12. I think this is the shortest song on the album, if I remember correctly, or, or pretty close to, not including the song that takes us out. What are your thoughts on this one, Jim? Remind me again, in your opinion, the four types of Tom Waits. Uh, what I have it down to, so there was uh, Noisy Tom, Sentimental Tom. Sentimental. Yeah. That, that was the reminder I needed, because this, I, I agreed with it earlier, and, and this fits into that category. If you like this song, listen to lullaby off of uh, blood money this brings me back to flowers grave but this is even more stripped down it, it almost harkens back to tom's days as starting out as just a pianist playing bars and clubs before and if you ever listen to earlier tom waits like his voice as you go back in time gets gets clearer and and more actual singing <laughs> before it just gets down into his own uniqueness this goes back to that and it, it's very touching it's very sad and it still fits within the atmosphere of the darkness and spookiness but it's just another really touchingly dark track yeah and it's short it's sad uh, i love the line you dreamed me up and left me here mm. which is so that uh, just like you used me it's not even you used me up and left me it's like you dreamed me up you took all my dreams away it's so brilliant that's how i take it you could take it a different way huh but it's love that's gone she's yeah. gone but he's not he's still there and that's just one tear right down the cheek right now. <laughs> and it clocks in at less than two minutes. It's like 149, something like that. Does everything that it needs to do. Completely sad but beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and then speaking of which, going on to uh, track 13, Fish and Bird. So this is a, another sad one, but instead of about love that's been lost, this is love that can never be. So it's about a, a whale and a bird that are in love. I believe it's being told by a sailor, the sailor who is always on the sea and can never actually be with the one that he loves and always has to have in his mind that she's going to be waiting for him, even though that's probably not the case. And so it's kind of sad because, again, you got this this whale that recognizes it can never be in the sky and a bird that knows it can't live in the water. But on certain days, they could, you know, when the water is just clear enough and the sky is the same color that it feels like they're sharing the same place, even though they never really can. So it's kind of got that Romeo and Juliet quality without uh, 
without all the suicide. Going through all of these tracks one by one shows me just how many soft, sad, sentimental songs there are. But it doesn't it doesn't weigh it down. Without counting, I don't notice it because you have the other more upbeat tracks and more aggressive tracks to balance out the album. But it does also remind me why I like to listen to this album on an overcast day, on a cold day, in a warm blanket, maybe with a hot beverage, something, and just let it play because of, I mean, we're coming towards the end of the album and these softer tracks just take you, and you can take a beautiful nap and have crazy dreams after this. (laughs) Yeah, and one of the things, just going over it again, I think why I was initially drawn to this album as opposed to Blood Money is because it is a lot more consistent. It does have a a bit more of a consistent sound to it, even though that you know there are some, some tracks that, you know, are a bit noisier or do a couple of different things that I think that this is just sonically a lot more similar than than some of the other albums because he really does take these different approaches and because I was just recently listening to Mule Variations and listening to Bone Machine and and there's a a lot more ups and downs. Oh yeah, especially with Bone Machine. That opens up with uh, some some craziness that I love, but uh, (laughs) we're going to go ahead and focus just on this one here. I know. For next time. Next time. All right, so track 14, Barracole, I think it is. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but uh, it'll just have to be. Jim, you're up. What do you think about this one? Whether you want to keep this in your podcast or not, I don't know this track very well because I ripped this from my friend Dan's uh, actual CD, and I did not purchase this, and that track had a scratch on it, so I usually just skip over this track. (laughs) 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 And now I feel really bad. And I'm probably going to buy this album now for reals after this podcast because I'm embarrassed. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Uh, fair enough. Uh, so this one, I think, is the actual closest to... Uh, there's, of course, some, some darker imagery in there when we get the uh, skating on ice and a drink or something like that. But it's just one that one I, I don't really have a whole lot to say about either, and, and I don't have the ex- excuse of my, my track skipping. I was hoping you had something brilliant to say about this one oh to cover God. for me, Jim. But I mean, I mean, what I can say, because the skipping doesn't happen until like 10 seconds into the track, it's in the similar vein to On a Flower's Grave. Nothing against it, because I, I don't know the track, because it skips and I skip over it. But it, 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 at least from the beginning of the track, it sounded like a little bit of filler anyway. I'm sure it's beautiful on its own, but it's not really memorable because it's after things that are similar to it. But it doesn't feel like too much. It's just there. It's nice. It fills out the album. It feels like a placeholder. Like a, I've, I've talked a lot about some of these albums that can be just a little bit too long. And when I saw 14 tracks when we were going to do this, I was like, yeah, but there's a couple of really short tracks. So this one doesn't stay out, you know, over, overstay its welcome. This song, there's just not a whole lot because I think it is probably the most straightforward ballady type song while also not having anything that hooks me back in. Uh, and this is one that I always have to, I, I don't remember, just seeing the title of it, I don't quite remember what it is. It does follow mm-hmm. I'm Still Here and Fish and Bird, which are both beautiful in their own right. And this one just doesn't do much for me. I like the song. It's I don't I never skip it, but it's not that I don't go straight for it. So then that brings us to the final track, which is an instrumental called Fawn. 
And for me, this one is just, I, I can almost see credits rolling. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm always a bit torn on albums that end on an instrumental. Uh, sometimes that can really work. And a lot of times it just feels like, and exuant. You know, mm-hmm. kind of, mm-hmm. uh, we're drawing the curtains, we've turned on the lights, pick up your popcorn and get the fuck out. There's been times when I love the, the instrumental that goes out just because sometimes it can be really evocative. And the Afghan Wigs have a, a, an album or two that does that. But uh, like I, when Faith No More ended uh, Angel Dust with the cover of um, Midnight Cowboy, I know other people uh, just never did anything for me. And it's just a, a track I've t- turned off. So this one just, it feels like the, the movie is done. The credits are rolling. Thank you and good night. And it's again, it's pretty, I think this is the shortest track. Uh, only like a minute 40. I like this one because it feels like it wraps it up. So we have that narration at the beginning because Alice feels almost spoken. This is the end. What do you think, Jim? Well, I'm trying not to open up a can of worms in my head on what you said about albums that end with instrumentals that can work and cannot work because now I'm starting to think of albums like that and you mentioned a few and by God, that would be a whole nother podcast. But this one absolutely works here. Some of the, what do you you call it, chord progressions uh, sounds... A little similar to uh, Old Man River, that old man river. But, you know, those songs are, in my mind, from uh, that same era, you know, work in the fields. And yeah, I believe that's 20s, 30s America. It's not a clean track. He's playing a beautiful string instrument, but... This is a clearer case. We can look afterwards, but I'm pretty sure that string is not a known one like a violin or a cello or anything. I think that's something of his own construction that has a lot of other little quirks and sounds and there's clicks and almost sounds like radio static in there. You can hear this song like on an old wooden radio, you know? Yeah, you can see everything riding off into the distance. One way to describe albums that end on just an instrumental and that work like this works, I, I like to think of it as a soft landing. It, it, yeah, it's 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 not so much you know pick up your popcorn and get the fuck out. It's just like, okay, we're not we're not you know we're not going to just drop you back into reality. We're just going to kind of we're going to ease back into this. Clearly, why this is one of my favorite albums to fall asleep to. You know, listening to it on a, on a day that's overcast where you kind of want to take a nap anyway just slays you down. Soft landing, man. It's sweet, but it's edging towards being creepy. So those those strings are going to get faster, you know, and then be, go straight into actual scary. And it doesn't do that. But either way, a nice way to end the album, bringing the whole thing to a close. Jim, I wanted to say thank you very much for joining me here. Now, if somebody wanted to follow more about your comedy career or maybe your clowning, what would be the best place for them to find you? Right now, the best place to find me is on Facebook, facebook.com slash Famous Jim Williams. I'm also on Twitter at FamousJW. And uh, soon to be released, maybe even by the time this podcast hits, will be my new website because it's under renovation, famousjimwilliams.com or jimwilliams.pl. Keep an eye out for that. So once again, thank you for joining the conversation here on I Fucking Love This Record. Thank you, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. I fucking love this conversation. All right, me too. For those of you who don't know, uh, if you check out my website, you can find out about my comedy career. You can find about some voice work I do, but also I do another podcast, which I call Album Side. And that's where I sit down and I listen to one side of vinyl while I drink a beer. It's only available on the website. So if you go to www.lovethisrecord.com, you can find it there. Thank you and good night. Thank you for listening to I Fucking Love This Record, now available on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please subscribe, share, and comment. 
For this and other podcasts, please check out www.lovethisrecord.com, where you can also sign up for our monthly newsletter. If you would like to co-host an episode, write to me at lovethisrecord at gmail.com. Instagram and Twitter, we are lovethisrecord1. Facebook and Pinterest, we are Love This Record. Music at the top and bottom by The Ashes of Grissom. Special thanks to original patron Mark Evers for getting this podcast back on track. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. 